Hazy skies shine with an eerie glow as fires in the west temporarily bend the light on this July 22nd, 2021. This has shown up most in brilliant sunrises and sunsets, leading me to remember that one season following another, laden with happiness in tears. I'm not sure if that made sense or if anything on Charlottesville Community Engagement contains any words of wisdom, but I'm glad to try to capture as much as I can. On today's program, the Charlottesville Planning Commission learns more about a proposal from nonprofit housing groups on an affordable housing overlay in the future land use map. The seven-member appointed body also recommended a request from Charlottesville's Public Housing Authority to drop a condition of a critical slopes waiver. And there are now two fatalities from a house fire in Fifeville early Wednesday morning. In today's first patreon fueled shout-out, if you're curious and want to dig deeper, there's another podcast you might want to try especially if you ask why and not just what, and if you believe that politics should be about making communities better. If you answered yes to those questions, check out Bold Dominion, a bi-weekly podcast from WTJU 91.1 FM. Bold Dominion is a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Their latest episode asks, where does Virginia's trash come from and who does it get dumped on? Check it out at bolddominion.org. A fire in a home in Fifeville early Wednesday morning has claimed the life of a second resident. Crews were called to the 1000 block of Cherry Avenue to a structure fire early Wednesday morning. And according to a release, firefighters rescued one person who was trapped. That person and two others who escaped were taken to the University of Virginia Medical Center, and one died soon after arrival. This afternoon, the fire department reports another person has since died, and the third occupant is still hospitalized. The fire marshal's office is investigating. For this show, it's time to catch up with activities this month from the Charlottesville Planning Commission, who met on July 13th. I previously reported two other items from the meeting in the July 16th installment of this newsletter. Now it's time for the rest. Commissioners got details on an alternative version of the future land use map that is part of the Seville Plans Together initiative. The idea stems from members of the Housing Advisory Committee, one of whom is the executive director of the Piedmont Housing Alliance. Here's Sunshine Mathon. The proposal we are going to discuss tonight reflects our effort to distill the common ground from the spectrum of insights, concerns, and hopes that we've heard. Consistently across all the discussions, uh, we've heard the following. We've heard common praise for protecting and preserving historically Black and low-income neighborhoods. We've heard common support for addressing affordability broadly across the city, and that most everyone is okay with future affordable housing in their neighborhoods. And lastly, we've heard common concern that density for density's sake alone doesn't serve anyone well. The proposal suggests creation of a new low-intensity residential category that would limit density in historically Black and low-income neighborhoods like Fifeville, 10th and Page, and Rose Hill. This land use would be the base land use for historically Black and low-income neighborhoods to reduce development pressures by essentially keeping in place the existing density allowances in these neighborhoods. A second concept is that the rest of the city would have the general residential land use category, which as described by the consultant would allow three units per lot. 
Recognizing that growth has been historically accommodated on the backs of low-income neighborhoods, this would shift growth patterns to higher-income areas to some extent. The third concept would be to only allow higher-intensity residential to developments that kept a portion of the units below market. This proposal recommends that medium-intensity residential be a by-right use in all residential parts of the city if and only if affordable housing is part of a proposed development. This recommendation privileges affordable housing and guides density with purpose in all neighborhoods. Mathon said acceptable practical constraints include topography, lot sizes, and infrastructure. He said the revised maps that have been developed are not final, and the definitions need to be refined. Our proposal is intended to establish common principles that drive, uh, that set the stage for the next uh, level of detailing. Mathon also said the proposal does not define affordability, but he set out what needs to be known. This detailing process needs to determine, one, the minimum percentage of affordable units in a particular development, two, the depth of affordability of those units, and three, the length of time those units must stay affordable. Dan Rosenzweig, the executive director for Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville, said there are areas of the city where it should be easier for developers to build a lot of units. There may be areas of the city, for example, where they really don't want to be down, they don't really want to be general residential, but they're really the areas of the city, um, and I'm not going to name specific places, but we kind of know, a lot of people sort of know where they are, where you really don't want to put the extra restrictions on them where you just really sort of want density, intensity, and volume to happen. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg said he supported the suggested framework because it builds upon language from other documents, such as the recently adopted Affordable Housing Plan. In the Affordable Housing Plan, um, we or it says explicitly in, under the multifamily by right zoning, Establish a mandatory inclusionary zoning policy as part of any revision to the multifamily zoning. Um, And and so to me, I think it does make a lot of sense uh, to add that um, directly into our our descriptions on the map. Stolzenberg also supported the idea of more density throughout the city if below market housing is required. A reminder that the medium scale category would allow between 8 to 12 units per lot. Um, and I also think it makes a lot of sense uh, to allow that that possibility of medium uh, scale uh, apartments everywhere with that uh, requirement for affordability. Um, and that saves us a lot of uh, kind of fine grained uh, picking out things on the map versus just letting that go to the site plan uh, requirements and, and making sure that four lots where that's proposed, the infrastructure is actually in place and the physical constraints are in place and it's doable. Stolzenberg said that in this way, decisions about infrastructure would be made at the site plan level. He did suggest a name change from low intensity to sensitive neighborhood. Rosenzweig said the goal was to create more affordable housing. You can't do a mapping exercise without uh, thinking about the history of the map and the intentionality of the zoning map to calcify what had been put in place with restrictive uh, covenants. and to me, uh, what what was really important as um, uh, somebody who's a champion of affordable housing and who's also tried to develop affordable housing is that it, it should be available. Opportunities for affordable housing should be available throughout the city. A, a family zip code shouldn't be their destiny. So I think one of the primary purposes of this map is to create the conditions by which affordable housing can happen in every neighborhood. 
Commissioner Jody Lehendro said he liked the idea, but still has concerns about the map provided by Roadside and Harwell. He posed several questions that he would like people to consider as the concept continues to be shaped. Who establishes whether uh, a, a development is compatible with the uh, within the context? Um, what what are the benchmarks? What are what are the requirements? Um, is it done on a on a project by project basis based upon the the context directly around that project, or is it done by uh, a, a zoning district or a district of some kind? Commission Chair Josea Mitchell offered these comments to the consultant. Density for the sake of density is dumb. Density with a purpose. Density that is smart. Density to borrow from sunshine. Density that privileges affordability is good. And the overlay as um, as it has been presented does just that. It provides density with a purpose, the purpose being affordability. City councilors were also on the call. Michael Payne said he supported the framework. It's a good framework for addressing some of the concerns a lot of people had about ensuring that density is actually promoting affordability to the maximum possible extent. However, Councillor Payne had concerns that the regulations not become too restrictive, that developments cannot work out financially. Just make sure we don't end up in a situation where projects don't pencil out and we have a de facto downzoning for some neighborhoods that had racial covenants and redlining. And then likewise, um, how do we ensure um, that we're actually monitoring and, and keeping units affordable Um, as part of the requirements of any overlay. Commissioner Stolzenberg said many of the details about affordability can be answered while the next phase gets underway. But he said the proposed overlay will help guide that conversation. Clearly, like the the real details of levels and all that needs to be pushed to the zoning ordinance rewrite where we'll have the math done. But it is also important now um, to basically... For small projects that are just getting into this overlay, in determining what your base level is, you're going to be setting those levels implicitly, right? So if general residential allows triplexes, if you're building a fourplex, you're saying that it has to be 25% affordable, um, which might preclude fourplexes altogether. Um, And so I think while the bulk of the details should be pushed out later, um, there is some amount that you should need to be thinking about now. The consultants with Roadside and Harwell continue to go through the feedback from the official community input process, which ended on June 13th. The next official meeting with the Planning Commission is tentatively scheduled for August 31st. Jennifer Koch is the project manager for the Seaville Plans Together initiative, and she said they will take the proposal into consideration as it fits in with the overall strategy. We have met with... um, uh at least uh, Dan and Sunshine, a couple of times just to make sure we understood what was being proposed. Uh, But, uh, you know, and I appreciate it, like Sunshine said, some of these thoughts about an overlay uh, we have, you know, in the chapter of the comprehensive plan as sort of part of the next step with zoning. Mitchell said he wanted to complete the Planning Commission's role in the future land use map by October so that the currently elected council could take a vote. Two council seats are up this November. But we're not done yet with the Seville Plans Together initiative just yet. 
This past Monday, City Council held the first of two readings on approval of an additional $165,000 to expand the scope of the project. Specifically, if adopted, they are to be directed to study how the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund has been used, as well as a further study of inclusionary zoning. Some of the funding would come from the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund itself, which was created in 2007 as a dedicated account for housing projects. Alex Ikafuna is the current director of the Department of Neighborhood Development Services. This request uh, is essentially a, a fund transfer to enable staff to complete uh, uh, a couple of uh, related project design uh, to implement uh, the affordable housing plan that was endorsed by the city council uh, a couple of months ago. The work will include a review of the performance of the past 10 years of the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund. The program is uh, uh, designed to uh, uh, evaluate uh, whether the city's investment is actually producing a desired uh, outcome. Ikafuna said the additional funding for the inclusionary zoning study is not related to the affordable housing overlay presented by Habitat for Humanity and the Piedmont Housing Alliance. He did offer this caveat to council about expectations for this process. Everything that comes out from the future land use map and perhaps uh, the zoning ordinance and maybe portions of the the um, overlay that will be integrated into uh, the future land use plan uh, map has to be what the market can respond to. You know, we have to be cognizant of that. Councillor Heather Hill has been a member of the Housing Advisory Committee, and she said she is glad that there is going to be a review of the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund. So that we can be the most, have the most effective use of city dollars moving forward. I just think this is really long overdue. I know that the mayor and I have discussed this throughout our time on council and just making sure that we have a a process in place that does have that accountability, but also just looking back historically and understanding what has and has not been working. I'm in the mid of conducting my own review of the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund. And if you're a paying Substack subscriber, you'll get that report as soon as I'm done with it. After that, it will be posted to the Information Charlottesville website for everybody to see. About a quarter of you are paying, and I'm grateful for your support to help me keep an eye on all of these things. You are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. In today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, help support Black-owned businesses in the Charlottesville area. Check out the Charlottesville Black Business Directory at seavilleblackbiz.com and choose between a variety of services and goods, ranging from professional services to e-commerce to beauty supplies. Visit seavilleblackbiz.com as soon as you can to get started. And finally, earlier in that Charlottesville Planning Commission meeting, commissioners voted unanimously on a proposal from the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority to alter one of the conditions in a critical slopes waiver that they were granted in early 2019 for the first phase of the redevelopment of South First Street. Carrie Rainey is a planner with the city of Charlottesville. The previously granted critical slope waiver allows for construction and land disturbing activities within critical slopes for a development that would include 62 multifamily residential units and three buildings and a community resources center. City code defines a critical slope as one that has a grade of 25% or higher and also contains either a horizontal run greater than 20 feet or is within 200 feet of a waterway. 
The idea is to prevent erosion and prevent sediment from entering waterways. That kills macroinvertebrate life. The waterway Pollux branch is within the latter, 200 feet or so. After construction at South First Street began, CRHA notified the city it would not be able to comply with a condition of that critical slopes waiver that required a phased construction so that two buildings on First Street would be built first in order to create a better stabilized site during construction and to facilitate more effective erosion and sediment control measures. Here is city engineer Jack Dawson. And the purpose of that is building three is placed on the trap that serves um, to treat the sediment that flows from the areas where two and three are being built. CRHA officials maintain that because of supply issues, they need to construct all three buildings at once in order to lock down costs. On the day of the commission's discussion, CRHA's engineers suggested that a combination of enhanced silt fences and placement of mulch to slow the flow of stormwater runoff that would go to Pollock's Branch, which flows into Moore's Creek, which flows into the Rivanna River. Dawson didn't agree. That's mostly not acceptable for this type of application. Um, and there are, are sort of some further concerns I have with that as well. After spending a few minutes detailing what he felt was problematic about the plan, Dawson reached a conclusion, though he said he understood the importance of this project to the city's affordability goals. It's um, going to be difficult to ensure that what's done here is, is actually uh, enforceable and carried out. There's been significant problems on the site so far with conforming the erosion control um, scheme. City attorney Lisa Robertson said the critical slopes waiver process happens at the legislative level, sometimes long before a site plan will be submitted for ministerial review. So the situation you wind up with is you vote on these things and you adopt conditions such as let's sequence the buildings to make sure we provide extra protection for the critical slopes areas and minimize disturbance. And then you find out when you get closer to construction through the process of doing the erosion and sediment control plan, that certain things can or can't be done with that. Robertson said if the commission granted the waiver, CRHA and city staff would still have to work to ensure the plan complies with Virginia's erosion and sediment control regulations. What you really need to decide tonight is whether or not you're going to get rid of the construction sequencing condition and whether or not you need to get rid of any other conditions. Robertson suggested this is one area that should be reviewed as the zoning code is updated. Ashley Davies of Riverbend Development led the CRHA's presentation. The request is centered on a need to build all three buildings as materials are found due to supply chain issues related to the availability of lumber during the pandemic. We certainly don't have any ill intent, and we are um, just as committed to protect, protecting Pollock's branch as anyone else. Davies said the disturbance of slopes has all occurred, and stabilization methods are in place. But the condition on phasing does not work in order to meet the project schedule. We've also, I think, spent a lot of time working with staff um, to try to make adaptations on site as we've discovered issues. But basically what we found is um, staff is like, well, we, we can't actually 
make any of these recent adaptations because this was a planning commission and city council condition. So it doesn't doesn't really allow the, the ENS process to um, adapt or be amended with staff. Davies said she did not feel Pollock's branch would be harmed by the disturbance. Scott Collins, a civil engineer working on the project, said that the sediment trap that's part of the plan would still be in place during construction. We are still achieving 100% stabilization on the site from the parking lot up. For everything that would go to that sediment trap, we, before we remove that sediment trap, we are stabilizing that per Virginia stormwater, stormwater and ENS road control measures standards. Dawson said in a recent site visit, he saw sediment being discharged into Pollock's branch and that construction was outside of the limit of disturbance outlined in the plan. Dawson also said he chose not to take immediate action. Probably could it, we certainly could have issued a stop work order immediately. Um, that's not what we did. The commission voted unanimously to recommend dropping the waiver. It will next move on to city council. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Quite a wonky episode that really serves in a lot of ways uh, to get this stuff on record because I do think it's really important to get the details of these things because they all fit together. Um, It might seem sometimes like uh, you can do something more quickly, but of course when you try to do that, sometimes you get into issues. The hope of this is that so the general public can understand a little bit about how complicated all of these issues are and that they're never simple and that the best way to understand them is just simply to engage project by project, parcel by parcel, critical slopes waiver by critical slopes waiver. And that's why you are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Hopefully that is the goal and it is hopefully what this, uh, hopefully I'm scoring some, who knows. I do appreciate you listening. And if you did listen to this, please continue listening. And we'll be back tomorrow with another installment of the show. The next program probably will come out on Saturday. But who knows? I am Sean Tubbs, your host. And thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. 